Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you, God, for this day and for this opportunity, Lord, to worship you in this place. Uh, we thank you, Jesus, uh, that you are in control of all things, and Lord, that you have uh, taught us much through difficulty, God, and that you continue to show us um, your grace is sufficient, Lord, in all things, and that you are moving and working in our lives. And so, Lord, in this place today, um, at Bowling Green Christian Academy, as we have come here from all walks of life, those of us who are, are a part of your kingdom, who have been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit by the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have no other confidence than that confidence and that faith that is found only in you, Jesus. And so, God, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for this opportunity, Lord. We are thankful that you both give and you take away, Lord, that you sharpen us by whatever means necessary, God. And we pray, Jesus, as many listeners have gathered here in this place, we pray, Jesus, that the gospel would not fall upon deaf ears, but, Lord Jesus, that it would penetrate the hardest of hearts. And, Lord, that you would speak into lives today. Lord, we pray for the non-Christian that is gathered with us. We pray, Jesus, that today would be the day of the reckoning. That day would be the day of their salvation. That today would be the day of their redemption. That, Lord Jesus, in this place, you would fall afresh upon dead men and dead women, calling them um, by your grace and mercy and your salvation through the cross and resurrection into a new life with you, Jesus. Lord, we pray for the believer that is gathered in this place. We ask you, Jesus, that you would encourage them. Lord, that they would find a new depth of understanding as you reveal yourself through your word, Father. Lord, that they would grasp a hold of the life and the legacy and the bearing of fruit that you have placed within them as a believer in Jesus, God. We pray, God, that you would rest in us and upon us, Lord, in a very specific, beautiful, um, in a, in a manifest yourself in this place as we lift high and preach and teach and sing to the person of Jesus. Lord, we, we love you, God. And Lord, selfishly, I pray as well, Lord, that you would guard my mind and my lips. Lord, that I would just simply be your messenger in this place, that I would speak forth the gospel um, no matter, Lord, who is here, who is not here, God, no matter uh, how big the crowd is or not, may we be faithful in preaching the gospel at all costs for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, may your will be done in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good, good. That's good. Uh, we're glad you guys are here today. Welcome to Mission Church. My name is Eric Baker. I'm one of the pastors along with Pastor uh, Justin, and we are thankful that you have come to gather with us here on the eve of snow apocalypse that is about to come. Um, everybody right now is skipping church to go to Walmart to get bread and milk and butter and eggs so they can make French toast, all right? And so um, thank you guys for gathering with us here this morning as we seek to make much of Jesus, to lift high the person and work of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Romans. And if you don't have a Bible, there's probably a Bible around your feet somewhere. Go ahead and steal that Bible. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, then that's our gift to you as a church. Um, if you have 30 of them at your house, then don't steal our Bible. That's the rule, all right? So um, turn with me. You can borrow that Bible if, even if you have one at the house. So um, turn with me to the book of Luke. Now we're starting a new series here today at Mission Church um, called Jesus the Storyteller. So let's read the passage here. This is the, in the Gospel of Luke, 
Um, and we're going to be reading in chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Read alongside of me. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given uh, to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that in seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of the Lord. So today, beginning this new series, we just wrapped up a two-year series on the book of Romans, and today we start a new series looking at this idea of Jesus being a great storyteller, or the master storyteller. During Jesus' ministry, he not only came to seek and save the lost, but Jesus also came in to usher what is known as the kingdom of God. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet when people looked at Jesus and they looked at earthly kings, they saw a dramatic difference between those two things. It's also true of the kingdom of God. Jesus kept talking about this kingdom, like I'm ushering in the kingdom, and the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe, a little secret here, that he was talking about himself. But anyway, so he keeps talking about this idea that the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is coming, and yet this calls major conflict within Jesus and his ministry, even Jesus and his closest followers, because immediately, when you tell me that you're a king, I'm automatically looking at earthly kings and comparing those things. When you tell me that you have a kingdom, I'm automatically comparing your kingdom to the kingdoms of this earth. You look at Jesus, he is the king of kings, and yet he does not come sitting upon a throne, he comes lying in a manger. We see this king of kings as a peasant homeless man walking from town to town, city to city, preaching this gospel of the kingdom of God and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And you compare that to the king's earthly kings and they're living in, in lavish 
wealth and prosperity. There are major differences here. It was even a major conflict for many people who followed after Jesus. Even John the Baptist really had an issue with Jesus of asking. All right, y'all remember the scene, right? Jesus shows up on the scene. His cousin's baptizing people, John the Baptist. And, and, and John says, man, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's pointing towards Jesus. And then later on, John gets put into prison and he sends these messengers to who? To Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus, John wants to know, are you really him? Why is he asking that question? He's asking that question because, man, if I'm the right-hand man of the king, then why am I being put into prison? Why am I having these difficulties? Why are they threatening me? Because they did not understand what Jesus had come to do or the kingdom that he was talking about. Now, Jesus is going to begin to tell stories. And man, I, I love good stories. And Jesus is going to start using stories, also known as parables, um, to really um, do a lot of different things. And that's what we're going to be learning about over the next several weeks when we look at this. Now, some call parables stories. Some, they may be a little bit like an allegory, but I want you to understand that they are much, much more. Jesus is not just sharing an ethical story and he hopes that by the end of the story, like when we were children, remember you used to hear these stories and people say, okay, now what's the moral of the story? Or at the end of the story, they would say, and the moral of the story is the tortoise always, you know, the tortoise always wins because he goes slow or whatever. Okay, so you're constantly using these stories in hopes that somebody will grasp the moral of this story. Yet, parables, these stories that Jesus is not going to tell, are not stories of morality. They're stories of greater truth that reveals something about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, and about those who would hear them. So they're just not catchy illustrations, all right? Uh, we, in, in sermons, preachings, those are called lies, also known as sermon illustrations, because a lot of times we like to stretch the truth. We're, we're like, you know, the news anchor this week who gets in trouble for telling information that didn't really happen. Preachers do that every Sunday. Not this one, but lots of other ones. All right? Um, and so we get this picture of, of Jesus is going to, yes, share an, a, an illustration, share a story, but it's not just so that you will walk away feeling good about yourself. Jesus is trying to do something very, very specific. When Jesus begins to teach using these parables, this is a major shift in how Jesus is relating to his listeners. Okay? You've got to get this. Because I'm convinced that most of us, how many of you grew up in church? How many of you know lots of parables? I'm, I'm convinced that we've misinterpreted most of them. Okay? So hopefully over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to really look at that because there is a major, major shift in Jesus when he begins to teach like this. You know, up until this point, uh, Jesus' teaching has been pretty straightforward, right? Up until this time, you got the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's easy for people to understand, like, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. That's, that doesn't need much in interpretation, right? Um, take care of the poor, 
right? Uh, don't get divorced. I mean, those, those things aren't up for much of interpretation. That's a straightforward comment that even elementary school kids can understand. And yet, Jesus now is, is speaking in a very, very different way. If you have your Bibles, you can turn back with me to the left to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew um, also covers this. Uh, and so does Mark as well. But Matthew chapter 13, um, let me read a quick passage here. says this, 34 through 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Okay? Flip back to Luke. So Jesus, again, you got to get this, Jesus is, is gathering a crowd. Alright? He is like the church growth guru. Alright? We say this all the time, jokingly. When pastors get together, they, the first question they like to ask each other was, how many people go to your church? Right? It makes us feel really good when we can say how many people are going to our church. Well, Jesus is growing a massive gathering. There is a huge crowd that is following after Jesus. Think about it. He's, he's been raising the dead. He's been healing the sick. There are thousands of people that he feeds with some Long John Silvers one day, and he multiplies it and feeds all of these people on the side of the hill. I mean, people are wanting to see Jesus do a miracle. And he's been teaching. He's been saying all of these things. And then all of a sudden, he totally changes the way that he teaches. And he starts telling these weird stories called parables. And guess what happens? People leave. They leave. Now, aren't, isn't the goal to like get a bunch of people to come listen to you? See, the thing is, is you can be a crowd and not be a church. Okay? And so Jesus begins to speak in this way. He begins to say these things. You know, why does Jesus do this? Again, doesn't this go through all of our... Uh, aren't we supposed to like really dumb down the gospel, dumb down the Bible, and, and really make it... We even created something in the church growth movement called seeker-sensitive. We're supposed to come up here and I'm supposed to sing Bono, you know, U2 songs and say that they're about Jesus. And um, you know, we're not supposed to mention sin, Satan, death, hell, any of that stuff. You don't want to be offensive at all. I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to do? And yet... This doesn't appear to be the way that Jesus does it. I would suggest to you that Jesus changes the, the way that he is teaching um, as a form of judgment. I mean, the Bible tells us there. From that point on, every time Jesus spoke to the crowds, he spoke in these weird, pithy statements. These parables these stories. I would say that Jesus changes the way in which he's teaching as a form of judgment. What 
is going to happen at the last day judgment. There is going to be separation. As I mentioned earlier, I think that these parables are, are revealing something about Jesus, something about the kingdom of God, and something about those of us who hear them. We learn about separation and God turning people over in judgment, even in Romans chapter 2, when, when the scripture tells us that God turned them over to the desires of their hearts. All right, And that's essentially what is taking place here. These people had totally missed the point of why Jesus was coming. They just wanted to see him work miracles. They just wanted to see him get them out of slavery. They just wanted their bellies to be filled. And you get this sense that Jesus gets really tired of it. And he's saying, hey, if this is what you want to do, if, if you want to go down this path and you don't really want to understand why I'm here, then I'm going to turn you over in judgment to your very hearts of what you are desiring and what you are wanting. These parables reveal the hearts of everyone who could hear his voice. Some were there because of his teaching. Others simply wanted to be entertained. Some hung on every word that Jesus spoke while others became bored. Isn't that this interesting story? I think it's in the book of Acts where Paul the Apostle, get that? Paul the Apostle is preaching and a dude gets so bored, this is hope for me, uh, gets so bored, listen to him, that he's sitting in a windowsill and he falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. All right? So the, but there are, I mean, while I'm preaching this guy, it's so interesting to be the guy standing up here. Pastor Justin can tell you, and if you've spoken in front of people or if you're a teacher, to see what everybody's doing out there. All right? Because you notice everything that happens. And the thing is, is like even while I preach the gospel, these very things are taking place. There are those of you that are inclined to hanging on every word, and those of you that are like, oh my gosh, when is the snow going to hit? We're not going to school for three months. We're going to August. Western students are like, I hope, I hope, I hope. I mean, uh, everybody, my kids, Maddox, my nephew, probably has his underwear on backwards on the outside of his pants doing a dance, hoping that this is going to come, all right? I mean, you're thinking about all sorts of things that are going on, and yet the Word of God, the very words from the throne room of heaven have already been spoken to you today. And yet, man, are you just, are you here to be entertained? Because I'm not very entertaining. Are, are you bored? Why are you here? Because there's a pretty girl. All right? If you boys look this way, don't look too long because that's my wife. All right? I mean, are you here because you, you feel compelled? This is the South. This is what we do. We go, to, we go to church. We hang out. And yet, these parables cause some people to search even more and it caused others to separate. Again, what do you do when Jesus stops doing the entertainment thing and just starts talking in what almost sounds like a foreign language and starts telling these random stories that you have no clue what that means? All right? Like every time my wife watches Say Yes to the Dress, that is a foreign language to me. Why you need to watch a woman try on dresses, I have no idea. That's the dumbest click. I mean, it's real easy for me to do that. It makes absolutely no sense to me. But for her, 
Mm, I love to watch people try on clothes. All right? No, it's terrible. Okay? But it, it, it's the difference in where we are. And Jesus stops somewhat doing these sorts of things. And every time he gets up, he tells you some random story and then it's like, drops the mic and walks away, leaving you there. Or you think it's so weird that you leave him. Jesus was great at growing the church or growing a crowd and then ruining it all by speaking truth or talking about, you got to eat my flesh, <laughs> drink my blood. I mean, that'll ruin a church, right? If I to stand up here and say, I love you all, this has been awesome, but if you're going to go any further with me, you know, you got to eat some of my flesh, <laughs> drink my blood. Yeah, it's going to be like me and my wife. Well, Laura probably wouldn't come either. <laughs> yeah. Pastor Justin, he'll be here. Alone. We'll preach to each other. Tag, you're in. All right. So Jesus goes on here and he tells this kind of parable of all parables. And it's called, if you look in your Bibles up at the top there, it says the parable of the terrible name. Terrible name. Because it's not a parable about the sower. He's a part of it. He's a valuable part. But the parable of the sower, also sometimes known in church history as the parable of the soils, maybe you've heard it that way, um, is, is mentioned in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 8. Um, and I would suggest that it's, it's more about a parable of hearing than it is about a sower or soils. Listen to this. This is what you've got to get today. How one hears and receives the gospel reveals the condition of their heart. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. How one hears and receives the gospel reveals the condition of their heart. Now, let me start by giving you some context. In Matthew chapter 13, we kind of get a little bit more context than, than Luke gives us here. Jesus has been healing people, feeding people, again, raising people from the dead. Needless to say, a large crowd has been following after Jesus. Jesus goes out from a house. He just has this conversation with uh, these people at a house. And you kind of feel, maybe you're reading in between, this is, thus saith Eric, not, not thus saith the Lord, but that Jesus is getting a little frustrated. And so Jesus often will remove himself from a crowd, all right, to kind of refuel, to pray or whatever. But, but Jesus is having this conversation with some ladies and some different people about some different things inside of a home. And the Bible tells us that he walks out, goes down to the sea, which is actually a huge lake, and kind of sits there on the beach. Um, and in doing so, what happens? People start following after Jesus. They start crowding around Jesus. And, and they're, they're looking outside and just wanting to see, okay, what is Jesus going to do next? So the Bible tells us there in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus gets into a boat and they push the boat out a little bit and uh, provides for kind of some natural acoustics to his voice to kind of bounce off the water as he's probably now looking at thousands of people who are waiting on being entertained or to be healed or something and so forth. In Jewish custom, typically the preacher or the teacher sits while everyone else stands. So Jesus sits down in the boat looking at a sea of people and at this point, you get this picture that everyone is like, what is this man going 
to do next. And Jesus goes, there's a sower. And who knows, Jesus is probably looking off in the distance. Who knows? And maybe there's a field over there. And he sees a man actually doing this. And he says, there's the sower. And this man is, went out to sow seed. And as he sowed the seed, some fell along the path and was trampled under feet. Some of it underfoot. And, and, and the birds came in the air and devoured it. And some fell upon the rock. And as it grew, it withered away. And, and because it had no moisture, and some fell among the thorns. And those thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into a good soil and grew and it yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. And you know what happens? Most of those people have no clue. They're bored. Jesus isn't entertaining today. And they leave. They leave. We get this idea of four different types of soil, and depending on which type of soil it is, or where it lands, affects the growth or the fruit of that seed. Now, again, the focus is not on the sower, though he is important. He is simply doing his responsibility, right? He's a farmer. You broadcast seed. If you've ever done this before, before we got lawnmowers with drop, you know, seed um, things behind us to pull, you put your hand in a bag full of seeds and you broadcast them. You're just throwing seed, all right? So the sower is important, but it's not a main sermon or illustration or parable about the sower. He's simply doing his responsibility. We know he's not lazy. He's casting the seeds. The sower represents Jesus, and it also represents all of us who are true followers of Jesus. The problem is not the seed, okay? Um, as we see, it is good seed. When the seed falls on good soil, then it produces a hundredfold. Matthew even tells us that it produces 30-fold, 60-fold, or a hundredfold. The seed, Jesus tells us later on in Luke 8, 11. Read there. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. All right? Now, let's talk about this and break this down just a little bit quickly. The first thing that we see is that seed falls onto a path. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, what's awesome about being this side of the resurrection is that we get some explanation into some of these parables. He tells us in 8.12 here in this passage, the ones along the path are those who have heard. So they've heard what? The gospel. Because the seed represents the gospel, right? says, then the devil comes, so the birds that Jesus was talking about in the parable is a representation of the devil, comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So we, we get this picture, and in early um, you know, Judaism and during this time in Jerusalem, we're not talking about fields like what we have today. We're talking about fields being everywhere, but there weren't, um, you know, fences and bobbed wire and, and all of this sort of stuff. Simply the way that the fields were divided up typically were because of these worn paths where people walked between them, all right? And this 
warm path, this worn path will become baked in the sun, and in doing so, it become just like concrete. It would just become like a hard, hard path. If you've been camping or hiking, um, then you have probably seen these sorts of things. And so when the man broadcasts the seed, some of the seed falls onto that hard path and it cannot go into the soil and germinate and grow. And if you've ever planted seed grass or grass seed in your yard, you have probably seen this. Because as soon as you throw it out there, all the birds are like, oh, it's a buffet. I mean, then you're running out there trying to get the birds out of the yard before they eat up all of this seed. There are some people that Jesus is saying who will remain hardened by their sinful nature toward the gospel. There's not um, sympathy in them in regards to this message. They may be bitter or militant in their view of God, the Bible, and Scripture. Their hearts are cold as steel. They are not palatable for the gospel. They are not hardened by the devil. It's just easier for him to scoop up the truths of the gospel from a hardened surface than a softer one. The longer the seed lays there, the more opportunity it has to germinate. There are many people in the world who are hard of hearing the gospel. Now, in our culture, the culture of the South, you won't find too many people like this. There are some, okay? But you won't find too many people in our culture that this here, this soil, represents. People are just totally against, just hard, just like, I, I hate the gospel, I hate Jesus, um, I, hate the, I hate Christians. You won't find too many people like that in our culture. You may in a more concentrated effort on Western's campus, but in general, being from the South in the Bible Belt, everybody kind of claims to some sort of um, religious belief or some belief in Jesus. But this particular here is the kind of here that when you throw out the gospel, that they refuse to catch it and it just bounces off of them. Okay? Uh, now, this is going to date me a little bit, but when I was a kid, they used to, you could go to a, uh, like a, a little gumball machine, and you could get different toys and stuff like that, and they used to have these things, and they used to have really big ones that were awesome, and you could put your money in there, and, and you could you know, turn the knob or whatever, and out would come this real sticky ball. Does anybody remember that? And you could take that sticky ball and just launch it against the wall, right? And what does that, that thing do? It... It kind of sticks for a moment, and then it goes, and dribbles down. Everybody follow me? Every dude in here is like, you just made my day, all right? So, I mean, it's an awesome toy because you just stick it through there, and you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to stay, but it doesn't. It just rolls off of them. Like water on a duck, this is how the gospel hits these people, hits these hearers. They hear it. They think you're ridiculous. They think you're crazy. They want nothing to do with it. Now, the next seed is the seed that falls into the rock. Again, he, he's broadcasting the seed, and sometimes the seed would fall upon rocky ground. Now, this isn't like rocky ground like in Kentucky rocky ground. Um, in Jerusalem and in these places, in certain places right under the surface, so what looks to be good fertile soil underneath about two inches of dirt is a layer of limestone. 
And so what begins to happen is Pastor Philip Ryken, one of my favorite commentators and pastors, says this. He says that, that these hearers, or this type of soil, represents the person that is shallow and superficial. Jesus explains this type of person when he says this, and, one who's on earth, and the ones who are on the rocks are those who, when they hear the word, receive it for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. See, farming in the Middle East could be very, very difficult because of this bedrock that would be underneath. So you crash the seed thinking, man, this is going to be a great place to, to grow some fruits and vegetables. And, and what happens? It rains. It does all the things that it's supposed to do for it to germinate. And then all of a sudden, those plants begin to sprout and you're taking pictures, putting them on, you know, Jewish Facebook or something, and, and, and these things are thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. Southern Living is going to be calling me, wanting me to do, you know, essays for their magazine. And then as the summer continues and the lack of rain gets more and more uh, distance between rains, you go back to your garden and you realize that all of those plants have dried up. Why? As you begin to pull away the dirt, you begin to understand that underneath that what appeared to be good soil were rocks. And so the, the roots themselves were not able to dig deep to where the moisture was so that it could stay healthy and to grow and to produce the fruit that it was supposed to. So they, what happens, it shrivels up and dies. See, some people, when they hear the gospel, are open to the truth. There are more people in the South like these hearers. They're open to the truth. You know, maybe they've even been emotionally moved. Have you ever been in a worship experience? Maybe, you know, again, I always joke on oceans. Uh, but you've been in some um, musical worship experience where people are singing or maybe the preacher is preaching and he, he says something and it, it just grabs your emotions. Okay, that's not all bad. But we have to be very careful with those things. Because, man, we've been in some really emotional worship experience. And however, ladies and gentlemen, if those emotions don't take root, then it was just for a moment. See, sadly, a lot of people um, will be listeners and they will hear the gospel and it, it appears as though that they are, have truly become believers in Jesus. And they'll even live um, as a follower of Jesus for a season or be involved in a local church. And then difficulties come. Trials come. Tribulations come. These type of hearers are, are moved by the gospel. They enjoy gospel community. They maybe are moral people. But when trials and tribulations come, they walk away from Jesus. They will even still come to come to church, but they don't have a relationship with Him. What appears to be a person who is saved, maybe they say a prayer. Maybe they walk an aisle. Maybe they go to youth camp. Uh, maybe they have some emotional-based decision, but it doesn't last because they're not deeply rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Hardships. We know from other passages in Scripture that those who have been truly saved by Jesus will always be saved. It is eternal life. If you are truly saved, you will always 
be saved. So even in this truth, we're seeing that these people weren't truly believers. Because what really showed whether or not they believed is when a test came, when a tribulation came. They at one time appeared to be faithful. They claimed the work of Jesus. They committed for a season to participating in the life of the local church. Their faith was conditional though, depending on on what was going on in their lives. When things are good, man, I I love Jesus, but man, my, my my, my, my girlfriend broke up with me. My boyfriend broke up with me. Or I've I've lost some money or I lost a loved one. And our initial reaction or the reaction of these people, these listeners, these hears, this type of soil is then to turn away from God because they are mad and ticked at God. And I've seen this take place over divorces and breakups, abuse, death. These issues become a real crisis of faith for people. The true test is to see if you will cling tighter to Jesus or if you will drift away from Him. If you have a shallow, superficial faith, then when your day of testing comes, your life will become a witness to the depths of your faith. Brothers and sisters, you can hear the preaching of the text and be moved to tears. You can have your intellect stimulated by a new nugget of truth within a sermon or something that you have read. But if your emotions or your theology does not lead to transformation, then it is shallow. It's shallow. And you will eventually walk away from it. And I can't tell you how many people that I've seen act like this. I can't tell you how many brothers and sisters in Christ that I've been doing ministry with, walking alongside of. I can't tell you how many people I've personally discipled, one-on-one, prayed with, taught the Bible, did life together, and today are no longer following Jesus because the sun came, the, the pain came, the heartache came, the famine came, the, the, the sun just beating down on their lives, the trials came, the tribulations came, they lost a loved one, they had a sickness or a disease, and, and this pain came into their life, and once that happened, they are now walking away from Jesus. That's a type of listener that is in many of our churches. The third seed or seed that falls upon the soil, the third type of soil or here or heart is the seed that was planted, but it falls into weeds. Jesus explained in 8.14. Let's read it. He said, And um, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear... But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. When we see this, not only can suffering steal your faith, but also abundance and prosperity. Our pleasures, our, um, you know, our pursuits, our money, our family, our time. We'll say things like this. It's like, man, I, I want Jesus. I want to follow after Jesus, right? But I also want to do these things. I also want to have these things. So when the man, when he broadcast his seed, some of them falls amongst the dandelions. 
Man, if you have a yard, don't you love fighting dandelions? You will mow your grass, and the next day, it'd be a forest of dandelions. All right. What's even worse is when you have carpet grass and your neighbor has a whole yard of dandelions because they just keep blowing their seeds over on your grass. It is a fighting battle. And the only way that you can um, choke out those weeds is to plant more good seed in its place. Because it's a continual battle. Because what happens to weeds grow in anything? They don't have to have good, you know, oxygen-rich soil. Weeds will grow everywhere. And so what begins to happen is, is the good seed starts to grow up along these weeds, but there are more weeds than there are good fruit. So they both grow up together, but eventually the weeds overtake the good fruit and good seed. Now, it's tough. This is a huge issue for a lot of us. These people are extremely tough to recognize within a church and a community of faith. Because it can be so easy for us to put on the Christian ease and the Christian face and the smile and be living a double life. It's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde faith. It's this idea that, man, I, I want my Jesus, right? I, I don't want to go to hell. So these kind of listeners, like I'm preaching probably to some of you today that represent these type, this type of person. And I'm preaching and you're like, man, do you want to go to hell? I mean, who says, yes, I want to go to hell. No one says that. All right? And so they'll say things like, yes, I want this, but I do not want to deny my flesh in these areas. I want to hold on to these things and hold on to Jesus. And yet, the call of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is to lay down your life for the cause of Christ. To follow Him. Being willing to deny yourself of, of all things for the sake and for the kingdom of God. I knew a young man once. Not a Christian. Atheist. Right? And so... He starts going to a community of faith. He starts hearing the gospel and eventually makes the profession. Says, I now follow Jesus. But once you really got through the layers of talking to this guy, ultimately he wanted to follow Jesus because he wanted a girlfriend. And he thought, man, if God will save me, if God will clean up my life, then I'll find a good girl at church. And, and that didn't happen instantly. So he walks away. Why? Because he wanted Jesus to be his genie in a lamp. He did not want Jesus to be his king and his Lord. Having a job, family, house, going to class, playing a sport, going to movies aren't necessarily bad things. However, when they distract us from our relationship with Jesus, they choke our growth. They choke our growth. I mean, how many of you guys have ever fallen into the social media wormhole? Oh, I'll just check it real quick. And you wake up three hours later. All right, drooling. Uh... Stalking people, all right? 
looking at pictures, looking at stuff, getting one more game invite from someone. All right, if you send me a game invite, you are no longer my friend. I just want you to know. You are unfriended. Okay? This is what we fall into. And then we say things like, church went too long today. I don't have time for church. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to serve people. I don't have time to share the Gospel. Why? Because there are weeds growing inside of our fruit. And it can be really easy to do this. Laura and I, a few weeks, we were having a conversation about an Old Testament story called uh, about Esau and Jacob. You remember? They're twins, and one's like a mama's boy, and the other one is like a Duck Dynasty-looking fellow. All right? Hunts, fishes, covered in hair. The Bible tells us that when he was born, the dude looked like an orangutan. All right? They didn't use the word orangutan, but covered head to toe in hair. All right? And so Esau was the older brother, Jacob was the younger brother, and Jacob was a house mama, all right? He was always with his mama learning how to cook and do all that sort of stuff. That's, you can't learn how to cook, all right? But anyway, you should be able to hunt and cook if you're a dude. I love that new commercial that says, like, if you have to be taught what it means to be a man, you're not a man, all right? It's, a, it's Taco Bell, isn't it? It's awesome, all right? <laughs> And so it's a great commercial. But anyway, so we get this picture in the Old Testament. There's a famine in the land. Jacob's been at home making some potato soup. Esau's been out hunting, comes home, and is starving. And, and Jacob's like, hey, I'll give you some of this soup. And Esau's like, um, what do I have to do to get some soup? And Jacob goes, well, if you'll give me your birthright, then I'll give you the soup. So Laura and I were having this conversation and she texts me and she goes, Esau's an idiot. He's stupid. He gives away all of his riches for a cup of soup. What in the world does this mean? Isn't Esau dumb? Yes. But the truth of that story is, is we're all Esau. We are all having a temptation of giving up God's blessing for something dumb. And a, a momentary titillation, a momentary pleasure, a momentary feeling of our stomach, a momentary exhilaration when God is wanting to give us something eternal. We all do that. Yeah. Think about it. How do we prepare for Sunday worship this morning, last night. Set in front of a TV. That's how we prepared our hearts. That's how I did mine. This is going to be so powerful today. This is going to be so monumental. This sermon today is so monumental. You have heard from God as we have read this scripture. The rest has been commentary and interpretation. I get that. I don't have any authority. The only authority is found when I read this scripture. And, and so we have read from the mind and from the heartbeat of God when we read this passage today. And it is going to move us so much that as soon as I'm done, we're going to go glutton ourselves on food. 
and probably watch TV the rest of the day. Take a nap. Amen. Right? Or wrong? These were not just stories of morality. They were stories of change. They were stories of movement. The last seed here is seed that falls onto the good soil, right? Uh, Luke 8.15 tells us that this soil, the here, um, this heart, as is, is it for good soil and for those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. He goes on and say, take care how you hear. For In verse 18, sorry, 8.18. Take care how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. A person who is a good listener will experience the same trials. See, much of this passage, this parable, is about you, the listener. Is about me, the listener. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. As Jesus is saying this over and over, let he who has an ear, let them hear. There is much responsibility on you, brothers and sisters, as you are a listener. We put a lot of weight. Man, my preacher, he better be charismatic. He better be funny. He better tell some good stories. He, used to be, he better entertain me. And yet, the Bible is clear on this point right here, not to take away from the importance of preaching and that, that we should do a good job at it, but there is a great weight resting on you as a listener. As a person who is hearing these truths day in and day out. But this fruit is good fruit. It's the same seed that falls on everyone. It's the same sower that is casting that seed. And yet it falls upon four different listeners. And this listener is good soil. His heart is good. He is intentional in his listening or her listening. She wants to know what is this about? Who is this Jesus? Let me be very clear here. These first three soils, these first three listeners, these first three hearts are not Christians. They're not Christians. Three out of four. A majority are not Christians. Yet, we can probably say that the uh, number two and number three, the kind that falls on the rocks and the kind that falls in the weeds, are heavily involved in church. Would claim probably have been baptized. Maybe involved in some sort of ministry. And yet, they are not followers of Jesus. They're not Christians. So how do you know which soil you are? I would continue that most of the parables, again, are to cause separation. They're to cause um, you know, evaluation of your own life. After Jesus tells this parable, the other gospel tells us people leave. 
but not everyone does. Read verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for the others, they are parables, so that in seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. See, ladies and gentlemen, out of all of those people, there were those who even after hearing this crazy, random story from Jesus, run to Him, seeking Him, wanting to know, longing to know this Jesus and what He is talking about. Jesus, what, what are you talking about here? What are you trying to say? And what does Jesus say in return? Oh brothers, oh sisters, this has been given to you. The right grace mercy, all of these things have been lavished upon you and the fruit of you being a good hearer, a good listener, good soil is the desire that you have within you to know Jesus and to know His Word. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. That, that begins the fruit. The Bible tells us faith comes by hearing. All right. There are those who have gathered here today. Some of you are seekers. And I'm not talking about like you're wondering if Jesus. I'm talking about no, Jesus has saved you. And you long, you wake up daily wanting to know, God, what will you do in my life today? You make time for Scripture reading. You make time for community. You make time for devotion. Why? Because you want to know Jesus. You are a seeker. You have been saved. Pre-Jesus, the Bible tells us in Romans that no one seeks God. After Jesus saves you though, it says to what? Seek God. But others of you, a majority of people, the majority, we can say that. The Bible illustrates that. One out of four. If we were to count out one out of four. One, two, three, four. That's, I went to public school, but that's four. Alright? Four. One of them is a believer. Three of them are not. Not to scare you. You're a believer. All right. <laughs> duck, duck, damned. <laughs> all right. So you, you've got to understand this. Now, I don't think that we can equate all of that to always being one out of four. But you need to understand what the Bible is saying is a majority of people are not going to follow after Jesus, even if they've been sitting in church for years. They're masking or raiding. Like believers, they've got the language, they got the t-shirt. But they're not truly following after Jesus. They're spectators. They're intrigued by it. It makes them feel good. It provides for them a community. It allows for them to be able to hang out with people. Or, or this, ladies and gentlemen, I know so many people that are banking on something that happened to them in a church service like 20 years ago, and they're still banking on that as being the reality of the relationship with Jesus today. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not the Gospel. When Jesus changes your life, there should be fruit. And every time I preach like this, I always think about the people who aren't here. The parables call you to a deep evaluation. And a majority, I know, I mean, be encouraged, Pastor Justin. What we do is futile in so many ways. Because a majority are going to push against of us. 
a majority of you only want to be here because this is what you're supposed to do. Or you've got some other privilege that you think you're going to get from this. While a select few will be here wanting to know, wanting Jesus, longing for Jesus. You guys, I don't know if we'll ever be a big crowd, but I pray that we are always going to be a faithful church. In response, so many, I should preach like five times on this. Response, quickly. One, believer. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. Our responsibility is to sow the seed. I believe this parable is in correct uh, correlation, parallel, to what we see in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9. Even in Matthew's gospel of him telling this passage, even quotes Isaiah there. Anybody know much about Isaiah? God calls this man Isaiah to be a preacher. God tells Isaiah where to go and to preach. Anybody else want that? I mean, I like for God to be that clear. I think that he was in some ways in calling me back to Bowling Green and to plant this church. But he, he tells him. He tell, I mean, how do you like this? God tells Isaiah, hey, you are a preacher. Go and spread the gospel to these people. But by the way, Isaiah, here's what's going to take place. You're going to preach to all these people and 90% of them are going to walk away. But there will be a remnant. There will be a remnant that is faithful. So majority of the people he goes to, guess what? Walk away. Harden toward the gospel. Harden toward this, harden toward that. And Paul connects this. Our responsibility isn't to coerce. We are to persuade, but not in a way that is sinful. We're to encourage people. Man, turn from your sin. Our responsibility is to be faithful in broadcasting that seed. We share the gospel with everyone. Do we have a high view of the sovereignty of God and salvation at this church? But our responsibility is not to decide who is in and who is out. Our responsibility is to simply share the gospel with everyone, knowing that only God can make it grow. Preach to these soils every Sunday. And we should preach to these type of soils every week. Number two, if you're a believer, be encouraged that if you have a deep desire to know Jesus, His Word, then this is the fruit of His work in your life. Is it a chore? Then you've probably missed the point. Is it a deep desire? That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Number three. Fight the temptation right now to be thinking about somebody else. Fight the temptation right now to be thinking about someone else. That's my temptation when I read this parable. Is to go, man, I know lots of people that used to seem faithful that aren't any longer. Fight the temptation to make it about someone else and ask the question, what kind of listener are you? Are you? What kind of soil are you? What is the fruit? There's no such thing as a Christian who does not produce gospel fruit. It's not there. I know parents, we like to do this briefly. We'll have kids who walk away from God. 
and who are denying God, and if you ever made a parent, and we want to be sensitive to this sort of thing, man, they're still believing. I mean, the kid will be like, I hate Jesus, I hate God, He's the devil, I'm the Antichrist, and mamas will be like, but Jesus saved him when he was nine. If, if you can go that far, ladies and gentlemen, you're not a follower of Jesus. That wasn't salvation. It's not our responsibility to say, yes, who's in or who's out. We can speak in general terms, though, and we can say, though, that generally speaking, these people look like unbelievers and believers look like this. So let's stop for a moment of thinking about other people that we wish were here today listening to this. And let's truly evaluate your own heart. What kind of soil are you? This is what Jesus is getting to. This is what's happening because immediately separation takes place. Number four, in response. If you are any other soil, if you are any other type of listener than that last one, then repent. Repent. And come truly and faithfully after Jesus. Does the seed or the plant pull the weeds? No. The sower does. So if you find yourself in any other position than that last one that we talked about, then you need to come to the ultimate sower. And His name is Jesus. You need to repent of all of that sin. You need to repent of your waywardness. You need to repent of walking around in a, in a masquerade party pretending to be a follower of Jesus while seeking your own benefit and reward. You need to come to Jesus with all of your heart realizing that we don't work in order to save ourselves, but we work because we have been saved. There's no greater other opportunity that we have if we have truly been redeemed by Jesus than to offer our lives as a living sacrifice following after Him all the days of our lives. If you're seeking to become bored or less entertained or if you have gone wayward from studying and knowing the Word of the Lord, then repent from that today and say, God, help me to desire, to long for You, to crave after You, to deny myself of these pleasures in hopes, God, of, of, of filling my time that was being filled with these things and filling it with the time of God the pleasures of God come to Jesus. And here's what I know without knowing it. Is we'll see. We'll see. You know how you're going to know if I was faithful in 2.15.15? If I'm still faithful and pursuing after Jesus in 2.15, hopefully... 2080, a long time from now. That's how you're going to know. So may our prayer be, our hearts be today. God, make me a good hearer. Make me a good listener. Make my heart pure and palatable for the gospel. Lord Jesus.